Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Once again, thank you for joining us here at Calvary. Um, for those of you who are in the room with me, I'm glad to see you and your beautiful faces today. Thank you for being a part of this. Uh, I want to address our, those who are joining us online as well. Thank you for being a part of this this morning. If this is the first time you've joined us online, if you'll just mark in your comments new. We've got some folks that are just are, are really wanting to connect with you as well, so we'd love to hear that. And uh, we're just glad that all of you are together with us this morning as we continue. Um, I, I do want to mention one thing. Coming up, starting next week, actually, we're going to have sign-ups for our, our life groups. If you're not familiar with life groups, life groups are a way for uh, our folks to connect in a deeper level uh, within relationships, make some friendships, but hopefully also those friendships help you to grow in your, in your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. And so next week we'll have a list of, of available life groups and the leaders are getting ready. We'd love to have you be a part of that. We even have a group or two that will be online if that will work for you. So please just uh, be praying about that. Next week you'll have a chance to get started as we talk about life groups. Um, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. This has been one of those that is just kind of just been bouncing around in my mind for several weeks, but specifically in the last few days we prepared it. So I'm excited to get there, but I do want to mention there's a couple things missing today. If you've been here the last few weeks, you'll notice I'm missing that appendage that was on my arm last couple of weeks, right? Woohoo, it's gone and everything's healing and that's all good. But you'll also notice that you're missing sermon notes. Did you happen to look on that? Um, we often have fill in the blanks. So you get to fill in all the blanks this week, okay? It's a complete blank page. You get to fill in, and I know some of you are already nervous about that. But there'll be things on the screen. You can do that, and uh, I hope that the Lord will really speak to you. Because today we're continuing to talk about the Father's house. It's a great term a great way, in fact, just even we, the, the words that we've already sung this morning, lay your burdens down. Check your shame at the door. Why? Because you're at the Father's house. That's, a, that's just an incredible thing to think about when you consider what, what this is. Let me explain something. What we're talking about, the Father's house, is not just a place, not primarily a place, a location, uh, a geographical destination. The Father's house is a relationship. It's, it's more... It's, more about the who than the where. It's about an ongoing, growing uh, connection with a heavenly Father. That's what we mean when we're talking about the Father's house. Here's a verse that we're kind of our key that we've been looking at, and, and I want to address it several ways today. First John chapter number 3, verse number 1, where the Bible says that uh, John writing says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of of God. And I love this next phrase, and that is what we are. Just think about that. I, I'm a child of God. In the Father's house, I'm, I'm, I'm one of his kids. Yes, I am. I'm a child of the King. That's an amazing thing when you think about those words and those quotes. It's, that's the point that, that John is making. Often in our lives, we, we use different things to kind of build our identity. So let me start where we left off last week. Because when it says, I'm a child of God, that's speaking, first of all, to my identity. 
Because all the things that we use, whether it's where you're from or what you can do or uh, what you like or maybe even uh, what people have said about you or what people think, uh, all those things, they, they kind of, whether it's they're good, positive, negative, some of those things, they influence what we think of our identity. What if, think about this with me, what if my identity was not rooted in how I see myself but in how the Heavenly Father sees me? What if my identity was I'm a child of God and what does God think about me as his child? And and when we think about, let me throw you some quotes. It's not then about who you are, but it's whose you are. Who do you belong to? It's not about where you're from, but where you're going. It's not about what you can do. It's about who you know. Do you know the Father? It's not about what you've achieved. It's what you have received in the Father's love. And that, that is that you have been given new birth through his son, Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. That's what we're talking about. We say the Father's house. And based on that, it is my identity. That's who I am. But it's also my future. The fact that I am securely now and forever a child of God is an amazing, beyond comparison understanding. And so that's what we're looking at. That's what it means to be in the Father's house. But let's go back and look at that verse again, because I want to see just a a translation variation in this verse because it kind of adds some meaning to what we're looking at. 1 John 3, 1 again, where he says, see, that's really behold. It it means, hey, let me get your attention here. You don't want to miss this one, right? He says, see, look at this, what great love, or your version might say what manner of love or what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That little phrase, what great love or what kind of love, it's a, it's a small phrase used about six times in the New Testament. And every time it's used, it has a couple of, of similarities. It, it has this idea of astonishment, amazement, like what great love, right? That's it. But it also has this distinguishing characteristic, the kind. So when he says, what, what kind of love? In fact, that's going to be kind of the theme we're looking at. What kind of love is this that we're talking about? How do, you, how do you look at this? How do you even get a concept of what kind of love it is that we find in the Father's house? To do that, I want to look at it a couple ways, a couple phrases. First is just those two words, the Father. Let me just start there. Because that's where everything wraps around in this, this idea of the Father's house. And, and it's important that you have a good understanding of who the Father is, if you're going to understand what, why it's so important that I'd want to be in the Father's house, if we have a, an un, unclear view of who, G, who God, the Father, is, we're going to have a, a hard time really grasping this idea of the Father house. And as I alluded to last Sunday, sometimes that very word, Father, is something that bothers or, or has an issue with us. Here's a thought that you might want to write down. Our view of the Heavenly Father can be, and it actually often is obstructed by our experience with an earthly father. When you think of father, and we're talking about heavenly father, and all you know is what you've experienced as a father here on earth, sometimes it obstructs, it makes that vision a little bit foggy. Because let's be honest, in this room, there are some who experience with the father was not necessarily a pleasant thing. I mean, whether you look at it as a sense of maybe it was an absence of your father. That could have been through, through death or divorce or just distance. For whatever reason, father wasn't there. 
and there's something, maybe, maybe you sense a void and there's, you try to fill that in life. Maybe it's even felt that abandonment, that being forsaken. There, there, are, there are some that that's it. Or maybe, it, maybe Father was there in his body, but he wasn't there. The presence was there, but his, he wasn't engaged. He wasn't involved and was, didn't give the vision and so forth for whatever reason. Maybe, sadly, there are some that when you think of a father... The idea of abuse comes to mind, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, sexual, all, all those kinds of things and where that's not the way Father was supposed to act. Now maybe you struggle with that idea of trust or even the, the, uh, just trying to survive mentality and, and it, it, it has left that kind of a wound. Or, or maybe you had a dad that just you could never please. He's just so performance-oriented. He loved you as long as you brought home a straight A or you, you did good in sports, or you, things were good, but man, you sure didn't want to mess up, right? And so everything was based on a performance. And so when you think of father, you're taking it through the filter of some of those experiences that you've had, and it's, it's hard for you then to grasp the importance or the, the joy of having this heavenly father. And if any of those that I mentioned, they, they kind of resonate with some of you, I, first of all, I'm sorry, but let me just encourage you to understand that that's not the picture of the Heavenly Father that we're painting, that the Bible paints for us. In fact, let me give you a verse I've always found encouraging. Psalm chapter number 27, verse number 10, David writes these words. He said, even if my father and mother abandon or forsake me, the Lord will take me in. That phrase means he will receive me. He will welcome me. He will hold me close. He says, even if it shouldn't happen, but if dad and mom, they forsake me, there is a true, perfect father who will hold me close, who will always take me in. That's the picture we're painting of this, this father's house and the heavenly father we're talking about. Now, some of you, that, those, those things that I talked about, scenarios, that's not really you. The, uh, I, I had a, a wonderful father, but he wasn't perfect, <laughs> My father, I, I think of the times, and I, I appreciate the involvement he had in my life, but he was a dad. He was a human. He had his, he had his issues as well. Uh, here's what I'm, I want you to understand. Whether your image of father from experience was kind of shattered, just kind of, you know, it was kind of maligned, or maybe you had a, a good father who did his best and was really involved in the best way he could. Here's what I want you to understand, and this quote just kind of jumps off the page to me. God is not a reflection of our earthly father. God is the perfection of our early father, our earthly father. All the things that we wanted in a father, we wish that we had, God is the perfect scenario of all of those things. Even if your dad was a wonderful father, you wouldn't want him to be your God or you wouldn't want God to be like that father because our heavenly father is perfect. There's nothing that's missing in, in, in anything about him. We're learning about the Father in the Father's house is that through faith in Christ, we can have the Father that we've always wanted, that we've always longed for, that we've always felt that need for. That's the Father of the Father's house. All right, so we talked about the Father a little bit, just address that. But let's get to where we're going to spend the time today. We're going to talk about that Father's love specifically. Now, if we, if we need sometimes adjustment in our idea of Father... We're also going to have to sometimes adjust what we think of when we think of love. Because, as we've said before about the Father, now let me give you another thought. Our view of God's love is often distorted by our view of human love. The experiences that we've had in, in human love, whether it's with, 
with parents or with others, that also tends to distort. Here's the thing. None of us are unfamiliar with the word love. We talk about love all the time. Let me ask you kids, how many told mom and dad you love them today? Good job. Way to go, all right? You get gold stars. That's awesome, right? How many spouses you told your, your spouse that you loved them oh, within the last hmm, 48 days or something? Okay, good. Way to go. Good job. So proud of you, okay? That's, that's all. Okay. Now, let me that, that follow with me. How many that use that love? You said, I love you. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh, you love somebody. Within the same conversation, you said something like, man, Let's go get a pizza. I just love pizza. Did, you, did anybody say that? I, oh, man, I love the Cardinals. <laughs> oh, I love the Cubs. Okay, no one goes there. I get that, okay. But you, love, you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we take that word love and we throw it in places and, and it kind of has diluted the understanding of what love is. Let, let's be clear what we're talking about, about the Father's love. Right off the bat, what we're talking about, the Father's love is a love that is unconditional and it's always consistent. It doesn't change. But see, that's hard for us to fathom because every kind of love we know has some sort of conditions. That's just human nature. And it, it, it will vary based on our emotions. There's a, there is a love, unconditional and without change, and that's the Father's love. Let's take another step further. I had a friend recently that shared this comparison his name's Steve, a pastor friend of mine, and I want to share this with you. The comparison was comparing what man's view of God's love versus God's view, the biblical view of God's love. Because often how we have experienced or processed love is then how we think. When we think the Father's love, this is what we're, we're thinking of. See if any of these sound right to you. Sometimes we think of the Father's love, we think of a disappointed love. Kind of like a dad who just, oh, yep, here comes my son. Can't believe it. Did it again. That kind of, wow, just messed up. Uh, come on, son. Let's fix it. You just can't get it. A disappointed kind of, we, we th- sometimes think of that's how God looks at us because we know how disappointing we can be, right? Maybe, maybe the love is, the second one was a, a bottom line kind of a love. An employer's respect of, you know, I, I love you and I'm, I'm happy with you as long as you're helping the bottom line. As long as you're moving things along and, and performance is good, then, I, then you're, you're fine with me. And sometimes we think of that as the idea of, of God. Or maybe we might even think of a biased love. The idea of, you know, a coach that plays all the players that, that he likes, regardless of how they really perform in practice, he just, he, they're going to get their time because he kind of thinks of them more highly. So we think of some, maybe this person gets it and because they, God must love them more. You know, some people have even implied that as a pastor, God must love you more because of your position. And we, we, that's silly, silliness in the sense that God is my father. I'm his child. I love that, but so are you. And there is no bias. There is no prejudice within that love of who God is, but that's how we see love. And that's often how we then portray what God's love for us should be. Let's go back and and understand another quote. Michael Horton said this, we do not determine the meaning of God's love from our own experiences We define God's love according to his work. How does God show his love? What does God's love really look like? So let's go back to our question. What kind of love? What is this fatherly, heavenly fatherly 
type love look like? If you keep reading in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Now, that's a, just a kind of a famous phrase. Jesus made it, and John repeats it often through his book. But he starts it there, and th- but then notice how he begins to explain love. He says, for love comes from God. Think about that. God is actually the source of love. You wonder where, where true love has its origin in God. He is the one who started it. He's the one that brings it. He goes on to say, everyone who's been born of God knows God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. If God is your father, if you know him personally, that's going to affect the way you love. And then he tells us why. Look at the last phrase. Because God is love. Circle that. God is love. Now, he could have said God loves, which that would be true. That would be accurate. God does the action of loving things. God God shows love, but he does the thing. He rules, he acts, he judges. God does all. He didn't say just that God does loving things. He said God is love. He said his very nature is love. Anywhere you poke God, love's going to come out. Anything that God does is going to be in the context of the fact that God is love. All right, so we, we get that. God's love, God's a source, but that's still, where, where do we get this clarification? What kind of love that God is, how do we describe that? How do we get a handle on that? This, this morning, if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, we're going to be looking at a story in Luke, chapter number 15. You can follow me there. Luke 15, one of the most famous parables, stories in all the New Testament And I say that because I would dare say most, if not everybody in this room, has heard the story of the prodigal son in some form or fashion or some piece of this story. But even saying that term, please understand, that understanding the prodigal son, that wasn't a biblical title. That that wasn't God's title. In fact, to say that, you're actually leaving out one of the two sons that are mentioned in there because the story begins, a man had two sons. So the story is not just about a son. In fact, the story is as much about the older son as it is about the younger son. And even more, I think the story is about the father in this picture, not even just his two sons. We're talking about the, the idea of, of what, what that looks like to us. And, and just one thought. as We're talking about that word prodigal. Again, that wasn't the word the Bible used. But when we think of this story, prodigal to us usually means wayward, rebellious. That's kind of what we think of. But by definition, the word prodigal literally means recklessly spendthrift, someone who just spends it all. Now, that that does refer to, we'll talk about the younger son. He he spent it all. But that also would reflect upon the father and what you're going to see, what he does. And it's his extravagance in his his love and what he does for his children. What we know is God is the one picture, Jesus is picturing the father as, as God, and so he's showing us what the Father's love looks like. All right, so we're going to look at Let me just give you a thumbnail version of the story. Pretty simple. You have a father who has two sons. The younger son comes to his dad. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. Now, that statement was paramount to saying, Dad, I wish you were dead because I would rather have your money than you. I, so, Dad, give me what I will get if you died. So he was, what a cruel and, 
and horrible statement, but he said, Dad, I, I want my money. And then he got his money, Dad gave it to him, and he leaves. He gets as far away from his dad as he could. He gets, takes his, his leave, runs his, from his dad, and then literally spends it all. And we don't know how long that took, but it says in wild, riotous living, we just know that he took it, all the pleasures he could find until he wakes up one morning and he's got nothing left. In fact, it gets so bad that he finds himself slopping the pigs for a local pig farmer, wanting the food that those pigs had, wishing he had as much as those pigs had, and yet nobody would give him any food. In the middle of that, at some point, he comes to his senses he realizes how desperate I look at me, look where I've come from. And then he remembers his father's house. He remembers how good it was there. He says, you know what, I'll go back. I just, I'll become a slave, even just so I don't have to starve anymore. And he heads back to dad's house, but it's the reaction that we find kind of surprising. Let's pick up the story in verse number 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Well, now that's unexpected. <laughs> Think of that son, what you've been through, and here's dad's reaction. That wasn't what, but his son then, he has a rehearsed statement that he makes, and he gives to his dad. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. With that admission, look what the father does next. The father moves into action. He said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And then notice the last exclamation. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pull out some pictures of what father's love looks like based on this story. First one I want you to grab, and please chew on this one, Christians. The Heavenly Father's love is a delighted love. I want you to think about this for just a moment. What kind of love is this? I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And that means my Father is delighted that I am His Son. He is delighted that you are His child. There is, a, there is an excitement right now. Think about this. This boy and all he's been through and all that's gone down between him and his dad, that was definitely not the reception that he expected. I mean, we don't know for sure, but I guess, guarantee you he's thinking, if I could just, I just want a, a handout even, just some help, or I'll become a slave and I'll just, you know, just stay away and maybe someday we'll kind of work this thing out. And, and I'm just hoping dad will at least acknowledge my presence or give me something. But what did he get? Look at the verse again. Father saw him a long way off, which tells us he was looking for him. He had been watching ever since he left. And then it says he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. Jewish tradition tells us elderly men do not run. It's not dignified. They're young boys. They run. They do their flittering stuff. Not, old, not elderly distinguished men. When he saw his son, he hiked up that robe and he took off running to find his son again. And then look what he said. And he said, and he threw, threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Even though he, he had to stink, he had to be filthy, puts his arms around him, he kissed him, and then he said, let's party, let's celebrate. My son was gone, now he's back, my son is home. What you hear in that voice is delight, despite the condition of his son. Despite what he had done, he was still delighted. 
It was still his son. You're not my servant. You're my, my son. Get a calf that my son is, is home. Please, this, my friend Steve gave this quote, and it just has resonated for weeks in my head. In Christ, God's love is just as delighted in you on your worst day as he is on your best day. Would you just think about that for a moment? I, I know me, and I know my bad days. And I'm thinking, God, I'm sorry. You just, you got to wish I, you had somebody else. Have you ever thought that? Think about this. On my, God knew, this father not only knew his son, he could smell his son from a long ways away. And he was still delighted that my son is home. Child, if you're a child of God, the father is delighted in you. That's his love. But, but look at the next thought. The father's love is also a generous love. Go back to our story. What did the father do? The prodigal father, as his son came home, verse 22, the father said, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Okay, think about that. That's generous right there, is it not? Especially when you know the backstory of what the son had done and how he'd wasted it all. That's, that's beyond generous. And, and, and just think about how desperate his son was. And all of these things, for the most part, were, they, were the bare, they were the essentials. Chances are his, he lost his shoes a long time ago. His robe, his clothes were in complete disarray. So he's actually fulfilling the needs that he had. He's, he's, he's coming around filling out the necessities, except for that ring thing. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Do you understand that not only was the father filling the necessities, making sure his son had new clothes and, and shoes on his feet, because only the servants, no servant had shoes. So he's, do you understand what he's saying? Not only do I want to help him, but this is still my son. Every one of those three things, a robe was a sign of his son. The sandals was a sign that he was a son. And that ring, he got the family crest back on his finger because this is still my son. Now that's generous after all that he's done, and yet his love is just overflowing. And if we stop there, that would, be, that would be amazing. But then it doesn't, verse 23. So now bring the fatted calf and kill him. Let's party, let's celebrate. If he had stopped with just the essentials, that's one thing. But I love it. The father goes over and above just meeting his basic needs. And his love just overflows into this young man's life. Think about this, folks. Think about the, the fact of the father's love and the generosity that, that he has shown to us. Our heavenly father, the greatest act of his love to us was when he made us his children. Remember the verse we just read, 1 John 3, 1 again? See what great love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God? That's his greatest statement of love. I love you so much. I will, I will call you my child. I will call you my son, my daughter. I will call you my, my child. That word lavished, it wasn't just that he gave us his love. He lavished it. It means it gushed forth. It came out in extravagance. He lavishes his love on us, and he bestows it in that week. If you were here last Sunday, we had this, this amazing bowl of ice cream right here on this table. What a crazy, this, uh, that was great. And then you put whipped cream on top of that, and then sprinkles, and then chocolate, and it was oozing over the sides. That's the love of, it's more than we could ever imagine, more than we'll ever deserve, and more than, we, that's the lavished love of God. That's God's generosity. Look how God describes later on in chapter four of John, 
how God came to make that kind of love for us known, making us his children. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. God loved us and made us his children, but how did he do that? By sending his own son to be the sacrifice for our sins. He died for your sins and for mine and rose again, all of that, so that God would then make you his child. That's lavish love. That's overwhelming love. That's unforgettable how much God, and he loved you first. He, it wasn't because you loved him. He loved you and then sent his son so that you could have that relationship with him. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one only son. The love of the heavenly father is delighted in his children and it's generous beyond comprehension how much he loved us. Look how Paul puts it, Romans chapter five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, he didn't just give us love, he poured it out on us. It's like the waterfall of God's love, and it's just unending. That's the picture that God pours his love lavishly out on his kids. But don't miss this. That's a great picture of our salvation, but don't miss that last part. He poured it into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Yes, he saves us. That's an amazing act of love. That sacrifice is given for our salvation. But at our salvation, he then gives us a gift that you can say keeps on giving. The Holy Spirit is given to us on a, on a daily, a regular, an ongoing basis. The gift of God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So it's not just it, that moment of salvation, unbelievable. And if God stopped there, it's more than we ever deserved. But as, you're, as his child, his love continues to be poured out through the Holy Spirit that he's put inside of you. Let me give you some thoughts, just some, some verses. You, you can write them down. 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Yes, he saved you. Now he's going to give you everything you need to live the way he's called you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Some days you're just not going to feel like you can keep going. You're going to, some seasons of your life, I don't know how I can make it. 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul found out. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, well, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's got enough grace to help you, and he pours that out on you at the time when you need it. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, it's sometimes in your life you're going to need comfort. You're going to need encouragement. You're going to need, God, just someone to say, I can do this. Praise be to the God, look at this, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. If you had a tough season, a tough week, a tough time, a, a crisis, a tragedy, just a point in life, we have the God of all comfort who not only saves us, but pours out his comfort through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And Romans chapter 15, 13, look at this. May the God of hope, here we go, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Look at this, so that you may 
overflow with hope by the power of that Holy Spirit that lives in you. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Our Father is generous. He sent his son to die for us. That's incredible. But now as his child, he continually, daily pours out through his Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, grace, strength, because we serve a generous Father. His love is generous to us, his children. And one word, last word that goes along with us, the Father's love is, is a committed love. It's a love that will not give up. A love that, that works through the worst even when we are the worst. Do you, do you recognize Romans 5, 6, Paul puts it pretty clear. You see, at just the right time, Paul said, while you were still, look at this, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, now, very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. He's saying people don't just die for people they don't even like. That's just unheard of until you get to the next verse. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still, somebody tell me, sinners, Christ died for us. You want to see a committed love? That father in our story didn't say, ooh, son, you stink. You clean up and then we'll talk. He ran to him. He kissed him, threw his arms around him and said, go get a calf. We're going to celebrate. He took him the way he was and then continued to change him. Do you realize that's the committed love of a heavenly father? He doesn't ask you to, to clean everything up and you get things all, all fixed and then you come to me. Here's what he says. You come to me as you are and then I will fix your broken pieces. I will take the life and I'll put it back together. Just come to me as you are and find that you're going to find my love is committed to you now as you are and I will change you into what you need to be. Trust the Father. That's a committed love that God has given to us, his children. But remember we said there were two sons in this story. The, the older son wasn't home when all this hoopla was happening. He was out in the field working. But when he comes home and he hears about all the stuff, all that's happening, he immediately is angered and doesn't want to have anything to do with this. And he actually, we, we don't know all the, the story, but I can just kind of imagine he's saying, well, first of all, that's a, such a waste, especially after all that, all that my brother did, and now you're going to give him more stuff. But you've got to also think that he's saying, and that's part of my inheritance, dude. You got what you needed. You need to leave us alone because now you're, now you're biting into my stuff, right? All of these things are going true, and he refuses to come in. So he won't come and celebrate with the family as well. So look what the father says, verse 31. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because your brother was dead, is alive, was lost, and is found. Do you realize the older son was also dishonoring his dad by not enjoying, not coming to be a part of the family. He was saying, I don't want to have a part with you, dad, because you're not doing it my way either. You're not, you're not doing it the way I want. And either one, it's whether he stunk as a body as a younger son or he stunk in his attitude. But do you realize the father wanted them both at home? He was committed to both of them. He still loved them both. He still called them both his sons. I love you both, and I want you here celebrating. That's a committed love. You're a child of God. That love is committed from, from the point of your new birth throughout eternity. His love is committed to you, which is so encouraging because think about it. No matter what happens as his child, I'm never separated from the love of my father. My father will love me forever. I'm, I'm welcome. I'm secure. Think of what Jesus said. 
He talks about his love and his relationship. He said uh, in John chapter number uh, 10, he said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. He says, and, and, and as they follow me, he says, then they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's wonderful to know that relationship with Jesus. But look how Jesus then moves that to the Father. The next verse, Jesus said, my Father who has given these sheep to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand because I and the Father are one. Remember last week, you want to see the Father, you look at Jesus. He said, because we're the same. He said, listen, my fa- I, you are safe within my hands and then he just pictures and my loving Father puts his hands around mine. That's the security. That's the fact I'm a child of God and that will never change because his love is committed to me forever. His love is committed to his children forever. But does that mean that the Father just ignores anything we do and our behavior doesn't make any difference? Well, that itself wouldn't be a loving Father, would it? A loving Father is interested and he wants the best and he also will correct and discipline and bring his children. In fact, Hebrews chapter number 12, the writer says this, endure hardness as discipline because God is treating you as his children for what children are are not disciplined by their Father? A loving father is going to correct, he's going to discipline, he's going to take the right direction because he loves you, because he cares about you. We have the perfect father who knows just what we need to get us where we need to go, and that is the father's love. What kind of love is this? It's a love that is delighted in you as his child. It's a love that is generous beyond what we could ever imagine, and it's a love that's committed to his children now and forever. So let me ask you a question. Do you know the Father, the Heavenly Father, personally? Now, before you answer that question, please understand, the only, time, the only way you can say yes to that is if you have entered into a relationship with that Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Which, which starts, you admit, first of all, that you're... You don't deserve to be one of his kids, and that as a sinner, you've separated from the Father, and you, you understand that. But then you believe that the Father loves you so much that he sent his Son to die for you and rise again, and then you receive his gift of salvation, eternal life, forgiveness. Have you received that? Do you know the Father personally? If not, I give you an invitation that today that could change for you. This perfect father that we've all been longing for, he longs to be the father that you have been longing for. And if you'll receive the gift of his son, he will save you. He will forgive you. He will make you one of his children. I hope if that's not a reality yet, it will be before we finish today. But let me now focus just for a minute on those of of you who know Christ. You know you're in the father's house. You know you're part of his family. You're one of his children. That's who you are. Let me just do something that I've done and see if it'll help you the way it did me. Let's take that list that we looked at before and let's lay it side by side. Man's view of God's love versus the right view, God's view. Disappointed love sometimes, is that how God looks at it? Or bottom line love or biased love. Can I, can I be honest, real with you for a minute? Hopefully I've been honest all morning, but let's just say for, for, for sake that I struggle with a couple of these personally. There are some days that all I can, I, there's no way I can imagine how God could still be delighted in me because I know me. And I'm thinking, there's, God has just got to be shaking his head, wringing his hands, going, what in the world have I, 
I, I know that's not true, but it's hard. Sometimes I, I fight that. Or sometimes I feel like it's so, I've got to do more. I've got to earn more. I've got to, oh, I, I've got to be more productive. I've got to, because the Father's love is based on that. And do you understand? That's man's view of God's love. The Bible tells me that my Father is delighted in me right now. My, the Bible says my Father is generous to me. He gave me a son, and he continues to strengthen and change and work in my life. And my Father is committed to me as his child. You see, on, on the left side, that's what we would call works. That's us trying to earn something with God. The right side is grace. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But that's the relationship. That's what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. It's a love that's delighted and generous and committed. Christians, my hope today, and this was the encouragement I was given as I looked at this, I need to start and, and repent of my, my skewed version of God's love and say, God, I, I'm sorry. I, I mess it up, and I, I'll have to do this repeatedly because I, sometimes I go there, but now I just want to just take a moment and enjoy that God's delighted in me. I'm his child. That's who I am. I want to enjoy the fact that his love is generous beyond com comprehension and that he's committed to me as his child. Christian, could you do that today? Could that maybe encourage you to know if you're a child of God, that's what kind of love God has lavished on you. Let's bow our heads together. As we kind of wrap this thought up, I just want to encourage you in a moment to take some time and word a prayer back to the Father based on what you've learned today. I begin by just asking again, do you know for sure that, that you're one of God's children? Has there been a point when you received that gift of eternal life that was given through the Son, Jesus Christ, so that you could be one of God's kids? Are you a child of God? If not, this morning, would you recognize your need? Believe in Jesus and say, God, forgive me as a sin. Save me. I want to be one of your children, one of your followers. Would you start there this morning? If you have questions about that, I'd love to speak to you. You can either comment if you're online or you can put on your card or you can speak to me afterwards. I'd love to show you what it is to know that Father's love. But if you know Christ as Savior, you're in the Father's house. When you go through your day, do you have you ever just thought about the fact that right now I have a heavenly father that's delighted in me, that's committed to me? Maybe that would just be, God, thank you. God, help me to have the right perspective on who you are, and God, I just praise you, and I give you honor for all you are doing and have done in my life. Let me pray for you, Father, and I thank you that I can call you my father. And I ask you, Father, to speak to this congregation here in person and watching online. Let them recognize the incredible privilege of being a child of God. And if there's any under the sound of my voice that have not yet received that gift, may today they recognize their need and receive Jesus as their Savior and become a child of God. 
And Lord, I'm praying for all the believers that are listening, that they are reminded of what it means to be a child of God. That's who they are. That's their identity. And that's under that love that is always delighted and always generous and always committed to that relationship. That's your love. Encourage them, strengthen them, challenge them. Help us to live as children of God today.